Are you listening to the award-winning CBJRadio.com yet? 28 different shows, over 55 hours of new programming every week. Shows range from hip-hop shows to rock shows to theme shows to all-independent artist shows to a hair rock show to a Friday night request show. Make CBJRadio.com the only internet radio station you listen to. All my friends, all my friends, all my friends with Justin Flaskerud. All my friends, all my friends, all my friends with Justin Flaskerud. Hello friends, how are you doing? It's been too long since the last episode. As you may know, I took time off to get moved into a new house with a new studio. I love the new studio. I hate moving and selling the house, though. There are so many details to deal with, and hoping you're setting the right price for your house uh, just, just gets to you. Our new house is much bigger. It has three flights of six steps. It's basically four levels. My studio is in the bottom level with a living room and a wet bar area. I will spend lots of time there. Some of you may be wondering how my cats, Carl and Althea, took to the move. Carl took it much better than Althea, but that was expected. They spent the first day cuddling up in their cat carrier. They don't normally cuddle together, but that day they did. I think they like the new place. Lots of windows to sit in. They're, they're still learning the place, but I think they do like it. Now, today's guest is Robbie Hart. Robbie is my first friend that I met through my radio station, cbjradio.com. You may have heard of it. If not, please take a listen. I think you'll like it. We do explain how we became friends during the interview. Robbie has lived a very interesting life from growing up into Canada, working for an airline, to finding love in a coffee shop... But I don't want to spoil it anymore. Let's get to the interview. I was born and raised in Montreal, Canada. Oh, wow. Okay. So I asked this, you know, I've never been to Montreal, Canada. Um, did, you, did your parents meet up in Montreal? How did they meet? How did they make the Robbie? Uh, well, there's a lot of story there, oh, to be honest okay. with you. Uh, there were, okay, so let me bring this back. My mom came yeah. from Romania. My father came from Israel. Oh, wow. And dad in Montreal, my mom and dad, um, you know, like I was born in, in Montreal. And then I have a brother. And then I guess I was like 13. My parents got divorced. Uh, yes. Like mo- many, many people. So my family right. kind of separated. And um a couple of years later, my mom remarried and the man she remarried is actually my dad. So okay. I mean, oh. my, now I call him my dad. So okay. anytime I make a reference to dad, that's my dad. And uh, I'm very, very fortunate that even though my parents got divorced when I was younger, I end up with an amazing dad. So that was amazing. And um, just really awesome. I am a product of a divorce family and uh, my parents got divorced when I was like six. Uh, I only remember like the fighting stopped and that was 
like the best part of the divorce. Uh, my parents are remarried to two great step parents, like people they met pretty shortly after their marriage. And I, I've known them longer than I know my parents together. My step parents are amazing. My stepdad has been a gigantic like influence uh, mentor in my life as far as like my broadcasting career, TV career. Um, my stepmom was my third grade teacher. So like I understand uh, the divorce side. And but yet I still love my mom and dad, you know. I they I call mom and dad and my step parents are Dave and, or Sandy and Mike, but every once in a while I'll call mom and dad because it works. And uh, but I'm always like, hey, you need a parent, you need some parent advice. I got four. And they'll, <laughs> they'll be willing to to give you some advice if you like it. And uh, and then I have like uh sister, three sisters. I'm the only boy. And so it's a it's a really different world. Uh, I learned how to shut that toilet seat. Up. Yeah. Close the toilet seat. I, I the <laughs> thing I've lived by all my life. I even get mad at other people when they don't do it. I'm like, wow, why can't you just shut the toilet seat? And so, <laughs> um, yeah. But I learned. I mean, not like I can say I know a lot about women, but the, my siblings have helped me out in in understanding women a little more. Uh, but there were definitely some uh, a double standards because I was boy. Yeah. A few sure. later. Um, but I had to mow the yard and pick up stuff and move things. So uh, I had shovel snow. So yeah, uh, they understood that one. But so you say you have a sibling. How? What's the age difference there? Uh, I have a brother who's three years older and I have two stepsisters. And okay. uh, it's just amazing how sometimes, you know, the family situation changes, but yeah. it's not always a bad thing. You know, like in my case, I ended up was a really, really good opportunity to have an amazing role model like you. I had a mentor. My dad was like a mentor yeah. and a role model in so many ways. And it's just amazing. Um, my brother's a couple of years older than I am. He's three years older than I am. And um, I've always been the youngest. So I'm Were sure you, you know that's like having your sisters. Yeah, I have an older, uh, older sister who's six years older than me, a stepsister that's four. And a younger sister who is 11 years younger than me, which is my stepdad and mom's daughter and so kind almost had my own childhood being that I was only boy and like um the longest sister I mean she looks up to me and I've been a role model to her and everything but we're such an age difference now now I mean we all get on swimmingly but like I fall around my older sister like she hung the moon the stars for a long time and influenced me in so many ways but yet couldn't wait to get out of her shadow because she she was academically great, athletically great, everything. And I would take the same teachers and coaches growing up as a kid. And they'd be like, oh, you're Rochelle's little brother. And I was like, is that my name now? My name is Justin. <laughs> like, I'm Rochelle's little brother. And oh, Rochelle did it this way. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to. I'm, yeah. I, I had the classic <laughs> middle child syndrome. Still do. Yeah. And I act out. And, and in one family, I'm the baby. So. I, I do that kind of stuff. I get, I'm the prodigal son and, and stuff. So yeah, it's interesting. Uh, when you're growing up, did you fall around your brother and want to do everything he did? Or are you trying to get out of that shadow? And it's hard to say, you know, cause we yeah. were so different, you know, he's very academic and I really wasn't that academic. I mean, it was more artistic, Yeah, we were just different. But one thing that I really got a love for, I, 
you know, from him was his music. He always listened to the coolest uh, music. Yes. Because he was really into like stereo equipment and like CDs when they first came out. I don't know. Yeah. Just like really cool things. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. So I started listening to music he would listen to. And I was like, wow, okay, now I feel really cool because he's listening to this like music like The Who and for Springsteen and oh, yeah. some like too and all these like really cool bands like um oh my gosh gary newman i don't know if you know who that is oh yeah <laughs> like cars. Some really fun, yeah cars exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh these are such cool like you know musicians to listen to and so not what i was listening to at the time so i always admired his um sense of music and you know like i said he was very like inclined with the radio and stereo he still is it's still yeah. i'm not very good at but <laughs> I do. I, I did uh, look up to him and his music and so many of those things. And Oh, my older sister's influence on my musical taste, Prince. Um, we probably got him to more. Um, I remember liking all the stuff she did and then hip hop came around and I became a hip hop fan and she was not into it. And so that was like my dividing moment from her music. Yeah. Um, and she was just like, ah, I'm just not into it. But I was way into it. Beastie Boys, Run DMC. Oh my. I can see that. Yeah, for me, I, I took a hard turn a different way. I was like, yeah. The Cure, Depeche Mode, this month. Oh, yeah. you know? But yeah. it was a little bit in a different direction than he, what he was listening to. But uh, yeah. And we like growing up in Oregon, um, we had, where we lived, we had four TV stations, I think. So the radio became more of an outlet to the world. And I remember my sister won, I think it was a top 100 uh, charts. She's like called in and named off all the songs in the top 100 wow. and won the 45, the records, the 45s. You have uh -huh. a little disc inside of it <laughs> to make it playing. Um, and I remember those and there's just songs that will come up now and I'll be like, that was one of the songs that she got the records from. And we, she got all my parents' record collection. I probably should have cared more. But she's like, oh, yeah, I have that record. I'm like, oh, you have the Michael Jackson, <laughs> The Wall, and Thriller, and all these great oh, albums. You took their collection. I need to come raid her stuff. And <laughs> But yeah, because we were moving into, I was taping everything by then, and then CDs were coming along. So I was moving forward, and she had all the records, so. I never got in the collection. Everyone's like, I'm surprised you're not a record collector. And I'm like, that's just a collection. I'm not ready to go down that road yet. Um, right. Because it'll become an obsession. And, right. uh, and yeah. then you have to redo your whole collection, right? Yeah. You can't just do a couple. No. I mean, then you have to start comparing the sound quality, right? Yeah. You can't and, do that. And as a broadcasting guy, um, so audio, video and stuff, I was like, the more you play a record, the more it wears out. And I was like, but yet, uh, I think there's a scene in Almost Famous where he's talking about the music and they're, they're talking about a certain album and they're like, it's the, ah, and the pops that show up on the out the record that don't quite show up on the CD that when it was recorded. So you're going to hear that more when you listen to an actual record, but I'm not, yeah, I'm not ready to go down that road yet. Um, I'm happy I can have all my music in one place half the time now. We just moved moving i found a box of cds and i was like wow these don't seem like it should be that old but they're obsolete right now i have a cd player in my car but i have all the music i need on my phone or on everything so it's just uh but yeah it was interesting to see how 
the music developed and and ways you listen and how you're influenced i mean definitely by our older siblings um but yeah you got into Depeche mode and all that that's um i knew the the people that like i liked all music i think my sister made it that way and so i wasn't like strictly like okay i'm only a hip-hop head now um i was but i got into like at that time period like molly crew and and poison the hair rock stuff i liked oh, yeah. the larger than life rock star because i was starting to watch mtv and uh so those those would play much and uh because we, yeah we had four stations and the next thing we had cable and i could connect all this music and then we moved to wyoming when i was 13 and it was like moving to the moon. It was so hard to get music here and fashion and stuff. And MTV was probably the only place that you could be like, oh, the rest of the world's doing this. And uh, it was tough being a hip hop fan. So I'd listened about anything. I was listening to like DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. And there is just some stuff I look back and go, Ooh, my tastes have evolved. Um, but even like my parents had great taste. My mom wouldn't tell me she was a big fan of The Doors until I was almost 30. He's like, <laughs> I didn't want you to hate them because I liked them. And I was like, okay. That's so funny. Cool. Like she always like, I didn't want to try to influence your music because I figured you'd turn the other way. That and is I was so like, funny. I mean, we could have been listening to the doors on road trips. Like I was like, damn. <laughs> the the great equalizer was the Eagles. I when I would take off my headphones when my parents would play the Eagles in the car and I'd be like, oh, this is good. I can handle this, but a lot of their music I was just wasn't into at the time. I respect it now, but yeah, it was interesting. And uh, so growing up as a kid, you said you got into the arts, like were you all in the arts or were you, you know, getting academics as a like kid or were you good at school um, or sports? I, mean, or? I guess you could say I was, I was average at school. I don't think I was yeah. like off the charts or anything like my daughter, whatever she's doing. But um, um, I think I, I really focused on the arts. I loved acting. I was doing acting, singing, I was doing shows. Um, I just loved singing. Singing was really just how I expressed myself. I didn't have a large circle of friends when I was younger. So I just, singing was my friend. Music was my friend. You know, I would tell all my stories to my songs and I would just be like singing my way, like as if I was having a whole like story drawn out, you know, and uh, listening to Celine Dion when I was a teenager, like my twenties and really just those impassioned songs that you feel with your entire body. Yeah. You know, that kind of music was just so easy for me to connect to. And I feel like it was, it was really speaking to me. So there are so many artists that had that effect on me. Roy Orbison and Celine Dion were like my two top go-tos and Roy Orbison is my all-time favorite, but uh, yeah. Uh, they kept me company through so many things, you know, and my music, all kinds of music. I mean, like I said, The Cure and Buddy Holly. I mean, she had such a diverse kind of, um, yeah. and then like, I like The Doors too. And I also like some hard rocks and, and um, very, very diverse taste in music. So, but every different style was a different side of me, you know, I have yeah. a very reserved side, which is very like, you know, proper, you know, especially when I was younger, it was very like toe the line. And very proper and then as you you know find yourself a little bit you get a little bit more outside of those lines and you can listen to or you could identify with something like that's a little more edgier a little different yeah. or maybe like the cure or something or even like you know uh 
I don't know, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but something that has a little more edge and that normally you wouldn't really think you would listen to. So you find yourself, you find your taste and those are your, like your guilty pleasures. And I even listened to some hip hop too. I mean, it wasn't my favorite, but I definitely did. Um, I used to go to the gym a lot. Um, and the person I used to train with used to always listen to hip hop and Eminem, like those two Uh, every day, every day. It was like every day, like clockwork. It was just, and I actually didn't hate it. You know, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily turn it on at home, but I didn't hate it. Yeah. I caught, well, parents divorcing, moving there. Yeah. Different moments in life. I would call it when I go to music, sometimes I'm like, I need to get back to normal. Yeah. Seems like things are out of control, but these bands bring me back to normal, bring me back to like the basics of me and, and how they affect me and who I listen to are like, Oh, today I want to listen to, you know, Willie Nelson, because I feel this way. I want to listen to Willie or I want to listen to Jay-Z or, you know, it's how I feel. And, and are like, Oh, I'm losing track of myself. I need to get back to let's listen to some doors. This will break me back to, a younger time and where things were simpler. And Do you feel like it's around you? Yeah. A lot of time with music. And I mean, wow, I have four radio shows. So I feel sh- I should be really grounded, but it's, it, it's that where I'm like, I, I mean, I, sometimes I don't play the music I get grounded by on my radio shows because it's so personal to me. Right. And I'm like, ah, this is just my stuff. And or, or I'll, be, I'll put it in a show and then I'll be listening to it and we'll be in the chat room and be like, oh, yeah, I know why I put this one in the show. That is a good song. And uh, yeah, it's it's the heartfelt stuff. And and it is a place. And you said you didn't have a big circle of friends. It is those become your friends. Exactly. And, and, the, and the stuff they sing may not make sense at one age, but it makes sense two years later. And, or it has a different meaning sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. You, you, you see it one way and then you get older and you evolve and your experiences change. And now all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I wonder if that's what they were saying in the song. Oh yeah, I get it now. You know, whereas when you're younger, you think it doesn't mean that you don't see it so deeply, you know, but definitely. You said you got into, you're doing acting and stuff. Do you remember the first play you were in? Uh, let me see. I think it was South Pacific and um, yeah, and I went, I did many theater uh, camps, many theater productions and theater. In Montreal, we had this really cool um, theater thing in the summer. I keep calling it a theater thing. I'm sorry, a theater. Yeah. It wasn't like, because it, it wasn't a camp. It was more like a, you know, a theater. Um, I would, don't even know how you would call it, like production, I guess. And it was at the old port of Montreal. And okay. they would have people from around the world come and take part of this. And it would be like, in like on the piers where they have the big IMAX buildings and the big, it was really, really amazing. And I just loved being there and being part of like the behind the scenes, doing some of the hair and makeup and then doing the performances. And I just loved it. Um, But uh, the singing was always more a connection to me just because I always had this music inside of my heart that I always felt like I had to get out. Like, I always would sit, put on Juice Newton. I would sing to the top of my lungs, and wow. I would just, I would just like belt it out, and then I pull it back, and I belt it out, and oh yeah, I was just like telling those stories, those drawn out stories, just like singing a Celine Dion song, you know? Yeah. So. Um, I, uh, I don't know where, I, I, I got into drama a little bit. The sports were the main thing. I, I played soccer when I was young, and then. 
uh, got into football and I ski raced. And so those became like my, my fangs. Um, but yet I had this, this drama bug in me and I can't remember the first time, I think it was the solid gold dancers. I don't know, they were, they were doing a tour and they came around to elementary schools and they came to our elementary school and you during your PE class, they would like teach you moves, dance moves and stuff and, and show you rhythm. And then they had an all school assembly and they would bring up people to dance. Well, the first wave of kids, I think I was second grade. First wave of kids just stood there, not just brick walls. They were kind of embarrassed. I got up there and started dancing and all new dance moves I knew were from the movie Airplane, where they're, they're disco <laughs> dance. So, because I was into comedy and then that was it. So I was doing that. That's a great movie, though. You yeah. Can't it, go wrong. And it it lit up the crowd. And now every kid wanted to be up there doing the same thing. And and so I was like, wow, that that was a moment where I was like, I don't mind being in front. And so I started doing like school plays. I remember when I moved to Wyoming. In eighth grade, instead of playing basketball, I did the school play, which was a Velveteen Rabbit. I was the doctor. I had like few lines, um, but they made me look like an old man. And it, it was pretty cool. Um, I was involved with drama classes, but yet football took priority. So I was like, I'm not going to, I can't be in the plays. And we, I remember we made, I wish we still, I wish I had the video, but one of my drama classes, we made a mo mystery movie and we wrote, oh, we each wrote the characters. We wrote how they worked in the murder mystery. I wish I wish it was available somewhere. I would love to see it again. That sounds um, really awesome, though. Yeah. I've never heard of it. That sounds really fun. Yeah, and my character was a hip hop guy because I was way into it <laughs> at the time, so it worked. Out. It was, that's what I really can remember from it. Um, and then I got to college and I did drama classes and stuff, and and led into broadcasting where I was more behind the scenes and running the camera and directing and stuff like that. Um, and kind of fell into DJing and it made me more of a celebrity than, than I thought. And it was, I was like, okay, I, it's that classic middle child kind of thing. I always feel like, yes, look at me, look at me, look at me. <laughs> and I enjoyed it, but I also like to not like to yeah. shut down and disappear into the woodwork of the world. And that's why I like moved from Wyoming to New York right out of college. Cause I was like, I live in a small town. Everybody knows my business before I do. Where can I disappear into the world? Oh, New York. But I mean, I, I had other things that I worked right. summer camps. I, I, that drew me out there, but I was like, I need to disappear into the woodwork for a little bit. And it was good, but then I came back. But yeah, it's, uh, um, it, people are always shocked. They know me now. They're like, I always forget that you were such a jock. You're such a football player in high school. And all that stuff. And now you're this like music guy, podcast guy. And I'm like, roles change stuff. I mean, I don't have to use my body to prove who I am. Now I can use my mind and, exactly. and my voice. But my voice didn't come along forever. Like Jeff's got the killer voice and he's had that. Oh. Voice. I've known him and I've been like, God, you set the standard, man. And the people are like, oh, you have a great voice too. And I was like, yeah, as well, not as good. And, yeah. and and I I when we're on the same shows and stuff together, you can there's a difference. Um, we can hold our own with each other, but I never had that until uh, I moved back from New York and they want to put me on front of cameras and stuff and do interviews. And I was like, God, I gotta develop a voice. And 
Uh, a smoking cigarette I, made it made it better, but worse. You know, that's not good. Yeah, I think you sound great, honestly. I mean, I agree. Jeff's voice is fantastic. Yeah. It is so authentic, and it really, he's got the perfect voice. I, I even told him he should do a ring announcer. Like he should oh, be yeah. a ring announcer. He's got that voice, and the way he uses it, he commands your attention. I mean, I think definitely has an amazing voice. But so do you. No. I mean, I tune into your shows all the time. And even when I'm not supposed to, because I'm supposed to be working on other things, yeah. I'm listening to your show and it's not because <laughs> your voice isn't great. You know, okay. it's just different. And that's a good thing because then I know who I'm listening to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We don't sound the same um, by any means. But yet I'll be like, uh, when I start getting all lazy with the voice, I'm like, okay, channel your Jeff right now. Get your Jeff voice going. <laughs> I, I can't hit the bass like he does. Uh, but yeah, I, I, it, he has my voice and I'll tell him that all the time. Like, we'll just be sitting around. He sounds like him always. <laughs> and, and like, I might radio it up a little bit with my voice, but otherwise he sounds like, I mean, if you probably are sitting around both of us, you'd be like just enthralled. And I've heard it so many times from him, from not him, but when we're around each other, people are like, we can listen to you guys talk forever. And I'm like, that's good. That's good. Cause we both are on radio shows quite often and make sure you tune in yeah see i slide in the cbj radio you haven't listened yet oh my god people see it they're like i know you have a radio station i'm like are you listening you need to be listening to it not just tell me that you know about it so i try to hand out the swag and all that stuff and i'm like it's free and we have great artists and it's fun and they're like oh and then they'll be like oh i did listen i love that show i'm like keep listening i have to tell you i have a beef with you though okay so I love your show and I'm yeah. not just saying that I really do. I mean, night times are really tricky too. Cause I always have activities and things going yeah. on. They always try to tune in because I love your show. I, one time I told you how much I loved your movie segment and what did you do? You made it harder. <laughs> I don't know. I was I, like, okay, now he's messing with me. Cause I said that I loved it. Now he's challenging me, which I love being challenged. Don't get me wrong. But now, now I have to tune in. Cause I'm like, I have to get at least two now. I got to get three movies this time. Sometimes I like challenge myself and I know that the soundtracks I like and everything. And when I do that segment. I'm like, I got to challenge myself. And so, but then I'll like, I picked out the five songs and I'll be like, Oh, those are hard ones. Like, I know them because I'm a movie guy. Those are hard ones. And then there'll be times where I'm like, all right, I'm gonna make some easy ones, but I don't want to placate you guys because I'm like, oh, these are gonna be easy. And you're like, yeah, footloose, grease, you know, you're just knocking them out like that. So I try to, I try to not make them so difficult. You're um, so fun. And then yeah, we get into the chat, okay. and I'm like, oh my god, that was so hard. That was difficult. I'm sorry. Which one? We'll get into the chat, and I'll be like. And you guys would guessing right away. And I'll be like, ah, these were hard, man. I'm sorry. Really sorry. <laughs> man, it's so difficult. And, or you guys will be like two of three. Like you'll get the name of the soundtrack. You'll get the artist, but you don't know the like, name of the song or, you know, and that kind of something. But I'm like, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. It's fun. You know what? It makes it fun though. It really does. And sometimes I realize too, and I'm like, I never watched a lot of movies. Like, you oh, probably yeah. will not believe this, okay? Because I'm from Canada. Yeah. And we do have TVs in Canada. I assure yes. you, we have TVs in Canada. But before I moved to the US, I never watched TV for like 15 years or whatever it was. I never watched TV. I believe so it. I 
never was interested. I'd rather read a book or do something. So I never really watched TV. And unless it was a movie that I watched either when I was growing up or that I really wanted to go see in the cinema, like I didn't watch movies. So there was a long stretch of my life where I didn't. Then there was an equally long stretch of my life where I was injured and I was home and I couldn't do anything. And the only thing I could do was watch TV. So I got to make up for some of those years and uh, binge watch some of the must see, you know, TV. I, I do. Well, TV major, broadcasting major, TV guy. Um, I blame it on weather. Growing up in Oregon, it was rainy or overcast. So you didn't go outside all the time. So you kind of watch some TV. Probably should have been reading books, all that good stuff, but didn't. Um, so I'll watch TV, watch movies. Uh, and then Wyoming, uh, half the year, it's snowy. So I was like, all right, it's awesome to have a nice fire going on and watch the movies. And I'm, I watch stuff too, where I have a production eye where I'm like, oh, I hate that camera shot. Why are they doing this? <laughs> and, and it's hard to shut off sometimes. I'll ruin stuff and I'll be like, ah. Or like the like the murder shows, I'll be like, oh, I could have shot all this. I could have video done that. I made all this thing. Oh, why did they do this shot? I do that a lot. Um, so, uh, yeah, and that yet, and I, my friends will say I have a really good memory, which I'm not sure. Um, but I remember stuff. I remember movies. I remember a lot of things. And so I now there's a new segment, the Fallout, where I have quotes from movies that I'm running, and you guys got to guess those. And so I'm like. I, I it's just very entertaining to me, but yet I'm I also am like, wow, I could be I have a guitar over here. I could be strumming on that a little bit, but I pick it up, tune it, set it back down and work on the other stuff. And so um if it's always been a big part of my life and I and, and I'm very entertained and even with bad movies, I like I'm gonna see this one out, see where this this crap goes. And my girlfriend will walk away. Once you're invested, though, no oh, matter yeah. how bad the movie is, you, now you have to watch, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I've been insulted. They've used, like, two hours of my time. Now I have to watch. I need to know what happens. Otherwise, yeah. it just you feel so unsatisfied, right? Because you're like, oh, now, now I'm wondering, like, what, I couldn't give it five more minutes? I know. It, it's awful when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> my girlfriend goes to sleep or gives up or walks out, and I'm like, I'm seeing how this thing lands. Let's it's see how so this funny. works out, yeah. You're so funny because I was in Montreal like a week and a half ago visiting my family for Thanksgiving. Well, Canadian Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was just recent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My mom and I were sitting in the, in the living room watching a movie, which we don't normally do together because we haven't seen each other for, yeah. for a while. And so we're watching this movie and we both looked at each other and we're like, this is a really bad movie. And then we're like, should we keep watching? Because now we have to know how it ends. And then we stuck with it. She goes, let's stick with it. So we decided we we're going to stick with it. And at the end of the movie, we just looked at each other and we said, I could not have imagined it would have ended so like uneventfully, like really, like after all of this. <laughs> and well, we gave it a try. I mean, there's nothing yeah. you can do once you once you get to the point of no return, you're invested and you just have to do it. You have to see it through. Right. So. My girlfriend likes horror movies. And <sighs> I can't. Uh, there are some really bad ones out there. And so we'll look through a bunch of stuff. All right, let's watch this one. And I'm like, this is going to be terrible. And it, it'll be like five minutes. I'm like, yep. And she'd be like, oh, wow, it's a bad choice. And I'm like, I'm seeing this one out, though. I was like, I, I know it's going to be bad. So let's see how bad it's going to be. And yeah, there, I definitely have some, um, like, the movie 
I play a lot of it in in the Fallout soundtracks from Sgt. Pepper Lonely Hearts Club Band. And it stars Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees sing all the songs. I guess there's some other like um, Aerosmith's in there. Steve Martin's got a song. Um, but the movie is just terrible. The only guy that talks in it is George Burns. He narrates. The Bee Gees don't say one word. Peter Frampton doesn't say one word, but it's all Beatles music. And so you're like, yeah, I love the music, but oh my God, this is a terrible movie. Um, and I think when they made Across the Universe, that's the movie that they wanted the Beatles soundtrack, like that movie to be. But uh, it came out, Sergeant Pepper. Yeah, so Across the Universe is a great movie. And, you know, you, I, love, I, I don't know if you've seen it yet. Have you no. Seen it? Oh, you got to check out Across the Universe. I highly suggest okay. it. Musical, all Beatles music, um, good plot line. Check it out. Good stuff. Uh, great singing. Uh, very enjoyable. Well, across the universe. Across the universe. Yeah. I'm writing that down because I yeah. will forget if I don't. Yeah. Musical. So it's a good one. Family. Oh, yeah. Since you're well now, yeah, we'll discuss that later. I was like, we'll talk about your your daughter's musical uprising and, and plays and stuff because I know about uh, it. Bring them up a little bit because we're talking about you right now. Uh, okay. So. Go back to growing up in Canada. So it was cold. <laughs> it was cold. But like you're you're from another country. I know it's Canada, but what do you guys think of the US then? I mean, because we like, you know, what was the what was the mindset? You can you can talk smack about the US because I get it. I um, wouldn't dare. I wouldn't yeah. dare. <laughs> okay. Sincerely, sincerely, if I'm being really honest, yeah, everything you guys had in the US, we got like five years later okay. and for twice and three times as much. So it was always so exciting whenever we could go to the U.S. You know, we go to Florida all the time. Oh, nice. We would drive over to Plattsburgh for the weekend to go shopping. And just, it was more exciting, right? Because yeah. you guys had things we didn't have. And everything in Canada costs so much compared to, like, how inexpensive it is compared to the U.S. So it was always a treat. And our, our family used to go to Florida all the time. And um, so we did do a fair share of traveling to the U.S. So, I mean, I loved it. I didn't have any bad thoughts about it. I mean, I never planned to move here. Yeah. It was never my intention at all. Uh, in fact, I, if I ever wanted to move anywhere, it was going to be to Vancouver because I was obsessed with Vancouver, how beautiful it was. Yes. But I never in my life thought that I would move to New York. That just was something that happened. Nobody does. No. Yeah. Me neither. <laughs> um, I, I, I was shocked. I mean, things worked out when I, we started working at a summer camp, my buddies and I in upstate New York, Camp Echo. Um, it's about an hour and a half from New York City. And uh, then while I was there, um, met my now ex-wife and uh, she was from England. And so New York was kind of our middle ground between Wyoming and England. There's a lot. And so I was like, ah, there's TV stations. I can work there. I never thought I'd move to New York. I thought I'd always be back in Oregon or the West Coast. And, but yeah, it was it was, it was like, oh my God, a kid from Wyoming. I was like, I had grown up in like a suburb of a city in Oregon, Gresham, Oregon, a suburb of Portland, Oregon. So I was familiar. I was yearning for a bigger situation, but the closest big city here is Denver and I didn't want to live there. And New York was great. Lived on Long Island, Huntington, Melville were my spots where I lived and worked at News 12 Long Island. But it, I worked in news and it burned me out because I had to cover all the crazy people in New York. And that was a rough one. And I was there during 9-11. So 
um, that really laid a lot on my shoulders. And I was just like, and then like where just kind of fall apart. And I was like, Wyoming's a got either a job opened up at the University of Wyoming. And I was like, it's a better opportunity. And working in education has been so much better mentally, but loved my experience in New York. I mean, I opportunity that's where I got to see so many shows because everybody goes to New York. So right. if you want to see an artist, go to New York because you're going to see him there. Been Madison Square Garden, all these great plays, venues, and everything like that. Um, but it was hard to live. It was expensive um, to to live out there and where I, and make a living and climb up the TV ranks, which my degree set me up to do. But I wasn't probably something I really want to do. I was really good at shooting sports, and I didn't have that opportunity when I was in New York very often. And so now I work in technology and um, I work in IT, which is weird to come from a broadcasting world. Cause I was like, I was making art and videotape and now I work with HDMI cables. So <laughs> I'm glad I have like radio and, and podcasts to get my creative side out. But, right, but your job gives you the opportunity and the freedom to do that, which yeah. is really cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not 24 seven AV guy. That's, not how I want to be identified as all the rest of my life. Um, Do you use Pro Gold? I just need to know. <laughs> Pro Gold for yeah. for your wires and your cables. Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding because my brother, my brother's always telling me I need to Pro Gold my cables. I'm like, yeah. oh my god, stop. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we have some high end, like not as much, because um, we we're going through. I mean, we go through cables a lot. And are, are they get they get they're definitely being tugged out, pushed on, uh, being in multiple classrooms, um, maybe for smaller setups. But yeah, my house, I don't think I have any pro gold in my house yet. But yeah, I know what you're talking about now. I'm like, it took me a second. Um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, I I I'm I kind of say I'm the guy that knows where things plug in at. Like I'm like, That's oh, awesome. this so cable goes here. <laughs> It must be very popular at home, right? Whenever anything new comes oh, home. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I oh, the whole everything um, with technology in this house is my setup, and I plug it in. I do all the stuff, and oh yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. And uh, because the other day we have um, a house phone that rings. My my girlfriend owns a funeral home here, and so they she gets calls twenty four seven. And so the other day it wasn't working and I got to go work and she's like, how'd you do that? And I was like, well, there's only one plug for this and it goes right here. And I, I was like, but it needed to be redone. And she's like, oh, and I go, yeah, you're lucky I work in IT, but I'm, I'm kind of that guy where I'm like, it only go one spot. So I, I figured it out really quickly and that happens and everything like that. Yeah. Um, but I'm not the guy that can fix your computer. I'm not the guy that programs like, can write a program uh that's other classes i never took i was too busy making videos and stuff and wow he's talked a lot about me uh back to you that's really uh, interesting yeah. though yeah. awesome um and i never thought I, I thought when i was in high school i was in like a marketing club like deca and i was president i thought i was gonna go into that or be a teacher because my parents are my dad and stepmom are teachers and next thing I know, I'm in broadcasting. But my stepdad, he kind of pushed me, not pushed me, but finagled me into that door path on my life. 
Uh, when I was a high school, my last year of high school, senior year, um, I'd play high school football on a Friday night. And then Saturday, I'd go work for him and I would carry equipment for a guy that shot highlights for our coaches' shows. Okay. And so I would be at the press and I'd just be carrying equipment half the time. And then on Sundays, I would roll video of those highlights for the coaches' show. And I was like 17 and I was like, oh, this is just a job. I never really thought this was going to be the way why I'd be doing this for a long period of my life. And then I got to college, went to the same college where he was a teacher and he uh, managed UWTV and was like, I didn't know what I was going to major. And he's like, why don't you intern for me for a semester? And that's all it took. Once I interned, I fully committed to being a broadcasting major and led me to meeting Jeff a few years later. Um, yeah, it was interesting because I don't think it took our classes that we met each other. We had classes together, but it took a mutual friend that was like, you guys need to hang out. You guys have so much in common. And we end up living like a couple blocks from each other, not even half a block downtown. And they're like, oh man, you got to go hang out with Rickett. And same, like people tell him, you got to hang out with Rude. And so, and then we're wrestling fans and that really solidified our friendship and and we were going to wrestling events we dressed up uh as wrestlers for a halloween one year <laughs> yeah taped up our hands there's pictures so, of it you have a photo of that i want to see that yeah it's it's on it's on uh cbjradio.com's uh facebook page oh my gosh that's you yeah i'm next that- to him um uh-huh. i don't have it quickly access but there's two of us so i think it's a black and white picture we got like beanies on. Um, you can't quite see his. He had long hair down to his butt for a little while. Um, and my hair was longish too. Isla was a dead ringer for the wrestler I was um, going to be like dressed up like. And that's how it kind of all started. It's probably 60 pounds heavier, maybe 70 pounds heavier than I was then than I am now. And, and so it was a good picture. I was good to do it. And they like, would put people through tables. So we carried around a table on Halloween, but yeah, it was, we were, we were dedicated, but it is on, it is on the Facebook page. If not, I will, I will. Okay, so it again. I have two things to write down on my paper so that when it, when this call is over, I'm yeah. going to write across the, across the universe and yep. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm writing this down. CBJ. Yeah. Picture. This I have to see. And are you holding yeah. up the table too? <laughs> no, we're on the table with us. I think we're like holding up our fist. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a good one. Uh, but yeah, that's, I mean, how we, the broadcasting made, I mean, built so my major built so many friendships. I've had so many people on the podcast from that world in that time period. And yeah, Jeff and I've been lifelong friends since. And, uh, but yeah, it was not something I thought I was going to do. And it led me down that path. Um, Wow. Now I've talked about me and you're listening very well so much. Uh, so you were singing, you're doing plays, you're in Canada. Um, when did you, did you, when did you move to the U S? So I moved to the U S in 2007. Okay. So you're up um, there for a long time then. Yes. So I was never, ever planning to move to New York, but yeah. I went to Hawaii. See, I was supposed to go to Paris I think uh, you know the story, right? You've uh, heard this story. You haven't heard have. this story. Well, I, I might have, but the podcast listeners haven't. So that's okay. it. I'm going to explain this all to you guys because it's yeah. really cute. 
story. I, I think it's a cute story. So I really believe in signs and things working out a certain way. Like I, I kind of take certain things as signs sometimes. I'm not like, yeah. I'm a little superstitious. Okay. So uh, way back when I was supposed to go on a trip by myself to Paris. Okay. I had it all planned out. I was ready to go. I had an itinerary booked. I had everything done. And at the last moment I was getting these signs not to go to Paris. So like, like the avian bird flu hit uh, Paris, the bank had no euros. And then the flight that I was supposed to go on canceled. And I'm like, okay, well, I have time off from work. I have all this stuff kind of planned and I really want to go somewhere. And I'm not feeling like going to Paris right now. And at the last second, I changed my plan and I went to Hawaii. And the first day that I was in Hawaii, it was six o'clock in the morning. And I was at Starbucks in Hawaii and I'm sitting at a table by the window. I'm drinking my coffee and I'm writing in my book. And at the time I was writing a book and I was just, all I wanted to do on vacation was just go somewhere to write. I just wanted to be alone in a cafe somewhere and write. So I'm sitting there at six o'clock in the morning and I look out the window and this really handsome guy is running outside and he runs by me. Next thing I know, he comes into the coffee shop. And he looks over at me, he smiles and he goes and gets a coffee. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then he comes over and he starts talking to me. So I'm like, I was in the middle of writing a story. And in the story, I was writing a scene where a guy and a girl meet. Uh, and the, the guy meets the, the girl in a really, really like odd way. And they just start hitting it off. And as I'm writing that like sentence, this guy comes up to me and he starts talking to me. And I'm like looking up at him. I'm like, as if I wrote the story and made it happen. Wow. It was so crazy. Anyways, the story is a true story. And it's actually the story um, of my song, Out of the Blue. So if you've ever heard my song, uh, Out of the Blue, it's the story how I traded Paris for paradise. And I found love at a Starbucks in Hawaii, Out of the Blue. See, I wasn't supposed to be there. I was yeah. supposed to be somewhere else. But something told me, no, 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 don't go to Paris. Don't go to Paris. I know it sounds crazy. Just go to Hawaii. And the first day I was there, I meet this guy and it was just absolutely crazy. We had so much in common and it was just like absolutely meant to be. And, uh, so that's it. That's how I ended up in New York. I mean, it was very unplanned and being in Hawaii and just meeting like that, it was just out of the blue. And we ended up dating long distance for a couple of years and got, and then we got married and moved to New York to get married. Aha. Uh -huh. See, he got you. Everybody moves to New York. He imported me. He imported me. Yes. Yes. Like yes. I guess I did. Yeah. I did that too at one time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was that the is whole, a great that, story. Yeah. Is, so I actually mentioned that story in two songs that I wrote. So Out of the Blue is the story how I met my husband at Starbucks yeah. in Hawaii and how we fell in love and all that good stuff. But 17 makes a couple of references to meeting him in Hawaii and how I ended up moving my life from New from Montreal to New York and heading down south with a truck of my things and starting over. So those two songs make references to him and how we met and how basically you know, falling in love and getting married. Thought, uh, hey, <laughs> to write a song about it. That's yeah. talent. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. Those songs. I love those songs. Played them on my shows. Yes. Thank you. And uh, thank you so much for all your support. Honest to God. I appreciate your support so much. And it's always such a pleasure to be on your show musically because 
you always have such an incredible lineup and I just feel so blessed to be part of it. It's easy to put you on the show. You make it easy. Uh-huh. I put the lineup Thank together. Uh, well, well, this podcast comes out on a Friday, but I put the lineup together today when we did the interview. So yes, you're on the, you're on the next call, <laughs> by the way. Which, I, now, I Even when I'm not on, I love listening. I just, yeah. honestly, I love your format. I have to tell you, I listen to a lot of radio, Yeah, you know, just being on a lot of stations. I listen to a lot of stations and I absolutely love your show. I love your format because it keeps me engaged. I love that you have your little segments, you know, you have your five, 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 yep. you have your, your, your movies, you have your shows, you have your Netflix, you have your sports. And I feel like I'm, I'm getting like a bit of everything and it keeps my attention because I kind of know that after the hip hop run or after the 80s run, I'm going to get yeah. something completely different, but it's all going to make sense. Like it's, it's all going to be packaged with a bow and it's going to be perfect. <laughs> and then you're going to stump me with the movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it took a long time to get to the fallout. Like I've had so many shows um, before that, that had different formats. I had like girls of summer, which was all like, I'd ask four girls to give me 10 songs and I'd play those songs and fall out or not fall out. Uh, fall guys, which was the same with guys. I'd winter carnival. I had a couple different ways that got me to the fallout. And I was like, people can listen to about five songs of one genre. And then they're ready to, to go on. Unless you're listening to particular, like, okay, I want to listen to a hip hop show. Or I want to whole jam band show, but I figure it's about five songs. And that comes from being a bar DJ where people are just like, all right, on to the kind of the next set of music that's going to keep me entertained, but not be the same last five, 10 songs. So the fallout took a long time to develop into that. And then um, adding the the movies, the entertainment and the sports news and stuff like that. It, and it's also being influenced by Jeff because he came out of the radio world. He was working in like 15 young and, and, and doing bumpers and promos and working at a radio station. I came out of bar DJ world. And so me, I'm like, I could play you one long 20, no, two hour song. It's just me mixing songs together because I want to keep you dancing. I don't really like wanting to talk. And Jeff was like, you got to talk more. You got to talk more. He kept pushing me. And I was like, all right. So it took a while to, to develop the, full, the fallout format, which is, I love doing it because it keeps me guessing too. And uh, because I'm like, oh yeah, I can go to this now. Or I can play this. And yeah, it's a fun show. So yeah, it's a, I, I get to explore a lot of different music on that show for sure. And then adding you, the independent artist into to the mix too has, has come along. And now I've gotten more access to where everybody's giving their music to Jeff. <clears throat> now I get access and so I can play a wide variety of people on that show and artists and stuff. And, but yet I can still play the Led Zeppelin's The Doors and all that other good stuff and uh, get into alternative music that we call alternative cure morrissey all that and that fun stuff uh there um so you you spoke of a job now because i know you're a musician now like what was your first job as a kid growing up or maybe oh my gosh okay all right no judgment okay the first first job i ever had was i I mean babysitting but i worked in a baby oh cool Uh, I worked in a bakery. I think I was 13. I'm not sure. Uh, I worked in a store. Okay. This is a really cool, this is a really cool job. I don't think anybody else 
could say they've done this job. But when I was 15 till I think I was 18, I worked at a place called Singing Telegram Company. And wow. you're shaking. You're like, yes, I don't know anybody else who's done that. No, so, I don't. I know it exists, but I didn't know anybody that actually was one of the yeah. performers. All right. I didn't perform there. I was actually oh. paying for the guy at the time. I mean, I was I was young. I was okay. so shy in front of people. I probably would have had a heart attack if I tried. <laughs> but I used to do, I used to set the singers up for their for their telegrams. I used okay. to answer phones. I take the orders, type up the telegrams, and then like the singers would come and I'd give them their telegrams. They'd be off on their way. Uh, so I did like the office work. I did that. We also had a party store on the front end of the of the office so I you know help customers I really loved it because I'm a people person and I like to help people so it was fun it was just it was just like a fun job I don't I had friends that like worked in restaurants I had friends that worked in bars I had friends that I don't know did like random jobs nobody worked at the singing telegram company it was just me right um but it was it was a lot of fun and it gave me so much experience that I was able to take with me and got a really amazing job when I was like 18, 19. So I was like store manager of like huge chains, like oh. 19, 20, 21, 22. So that was really good because I developed a lot of experience doing that job when I was so young and I was able to take it with me and bring it to, to get me to a place where um, I was able to really do other challenges. So like I worked for major clothing chains as a store manager and I just really loved it doing merchandising and marketing and stuff. I used to have like employees and things like that. Um, but it wasn't my calling, you know, it was just something I was good at and like you, you know, falling into something and just being good at it. I was doing that. It wasn't my passion, you know? And, um, this is a crazy story. I don't know if it's too much reality for this, but when, when I was uh, working at one of these jobs, I was held up at gunpoint and it was a crazy, crazy experience because after that I became very like, Ooh, maybe I don't want to work with people where I'm handling money and, you know, working late at night. And it just had me reassess a lot of things. So I said, you know, what do I want to do with my life? You know, I'm still really young. I can do something different with my life. And um, I always loved airlines. I always loved like travel and airlines and, and airplanes. I was always like obsessed with airplanes. I would drive on the highway, pull over and look up at the airplanes and just, I loved airline airplanes, things to do with travel and just hospitality. And so I said, you know what, if I was going to make a big career change right now is a good time because I'm still young and I can do this without really taking a huge pay, pay cut or anything crazy like that. And I said, you know, I'm going to go for it. So I applied for a job in an airline and I got hired and I started working there and I absolutely loved it. It was just incredible. It was so much fun. Um, I did so many different positions there. You know, I did customer service. I never was a flight attendant, so I didn't oh. do that. But I know everybody thinks that, oh, you were a flight attendant. No, no, I didn't do that. I did travel a lot, but I started out doing reservations. I did high yields customer service. I did almost every department that existed there. Um, I did schedule change, you know, calling people and telling them their flights were canceled, which was a very popular call to make, by the way. People always love when you're calling them and saying that, you know, they have to miss something special. Or, or once in a while you call them and they, you have to tell them that they have an extra day in like Tahiti or something because the flight now is going a different day. Uh, so it, it all evens out, right? 
so I, I loved it. And then I ended up getting a job in marketing at the company and ended up working in marketing. And I was so, so in my element. It was just so amazing. I loved what I was doing. I was creating. I was, it was the perfect mix of business, customer service and creating. It was like amazing. It was like, I felt like, wow, this is amazing. I loved what I did so much every day. I would go to work and I was like embracing the challenge and be like overloaded with work. But I'm like, what can I do today that, you know, breaks barriers? How can I make something better today? Like it was just so much fun. And uh, it was actually really great because working there allowed me to travel here to New York on the weekends and see my husband. Uh So I was able to commute very, very easily. You know, you live on Long Island, so you know, um, we would always joke that the flight from Montreal to New York took me less time than him driving from Long Island to LaGuardia. (laughs) It was like, it took him way longer, right? And I was like, I'd get on the plane. He hadn't even gotten back to the airport from his house yet. I'm like, I'm still here. He's like, you, you just got on the plane. I'm like, yes. Um, but yeah, I think I did like 200 flights back and forth. Like Ooh. traveling. Yeah. Because I traveled for my job. I traveled yeah. to come here. I traveled planning a wedding, looking for house and all that good stuff. So, um, but it was, it was an amazing time, you know? And um, when I moved here, I got a job transfer. So that was really, really awesome. It was like taking a part of my home life and bringing it here, you know, my Canada life yeah. and bringing it here. So even though I was moving my entire life, I kind of felt like I had something that I knew from back home and that was my job. And I really loved it. And then I ended up working in quality assurance for the same wow. company. And I was like, that was another amazing job. I used to get to audit the airplanes and the operation and the airports. And it was just so much fun. I know it doesn't sound like fun because it's like, how could that be fun? It was so much fun. Oh, I- yeah, jobs should be fun. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so I, fun, I, but I, I, loved, I loved it. I love what I do. And, you know, I, I don't do it anymore because I got hurt and I couldn't do it anymore. But when I was doing it, it was just such a great, it was a great time because, you know, challenging yourself, looking to, of ways to improve, you know, the customer's experience or the company's bottom line or whatever it would be. You know, there's always a challenge and sometimes things seem like you're never going to be able to make that change because there's so many factors involved. And when you do, it's just like so rewarding. It's like, wow, that worked. <laughs> it's awesome. I used to get to fly around all, all different airports and travel, like literally I'd leave my house in the morning, fly out to another city for the day, audit the airport, audit the airplanes, come home and then just like make supper. And it was just, it was really cool. Uh, yeah. yeah. A younger time. I think that would have been, uh, so, I mean, traveling more, on my younger age, I would have done that. Um, but nowadays I'm like, I like being, well, I like working in education. I, I know working at university and I'm on the technology side. Um, so anytime I get frustrated with the job, I'm like, I work in education. I'm making a difference. So I make sure they have the classrooms they can teach in. Uh, I might not be working, um, making videos anymore, but I use this as an outlet for that stuff. Uh, I just, it, it's weird because after a while, I've been at the University of Wyoming. Uh, next year, I'll be 20 years. And wow. yeah, it doesn't, it flew by. Um, and I originally, when I moved back from New York, I went, I'm going to be here five years and I'm going back to Oregon. That's where I grew up. That's where I should be. And promotions, money. And I realized the sun shines more in Wyoming than it does in Oregon. 
and it does a lot for my mental state. I go visit and I do love Oregon and I miss the good times. I have family out there, but it seems when I visit, it's it's seven days of out, uh, overcast weather if I'm not there during the summer or if I'm never. Yeah. And that really plays on my psyche. It may be negative 30 here, but the sun's out and and it, it feels good. And so next thing, yeah, you get promotions and, and stuff and you keep with it. And then the next thing I was like, I'm closer to retirement than I am starting. So I'm not going to go anywhere anytime soon. And then I met my my girlfriend. It's weird saying girlfriend because we're adults and my partner uh, about 10 years ago. And she owns funeral home here. And so it's like, she just bought it a few years ago. And and so like, yeah, we're good. And so we got a new house and, and it's Laramie's been good to my family, myself, which I never thought it would have been when I was 13 years old. We first moved here. I was hated it. With a Did you feel like an outsider? Like, you know, cause I know like yes. in New York, that's something like I I'm going to say, especially in Long Island, I'm a transplant, right? Like I'm not yeah. from here. And everybody knows I'm not from here. I don't look yeah. like I'm from here. I don't act like I'm from here. People see me coming a mile away. And yeah. it was not easy to assimilate in this. Like, it just wasn't. It just is what it is. And I wonder if, as a male, like, you had the same experience. Yeah. Because I know, like, in being a female, like, it's it's very clicky and very, you know, certain things happen and is very very much so my husband's always lived here his whole life so he doesn't uh, see it you know so i wonder being that you came from from oh. oregon and then laramie and then you came here yeah if you experienced uh, something similar um yeah it was a lot more clicky from oregon to wyoming and i'm moving at 13 it's you know height of popularity becomes a thing yeah yeah um, and so i was definitely an outsider took me a while to be like considered an inside or part of the crew probably tell I was like a senior in high school and I probably didn't do myself justice because I would go back to Oregon during the summers and always wearing Oregon stuff never really let it sink in where I was at and then but living in New York I remember working at a TV the News 12 Long Island TV station and the guys I worked with were like you sound funny and I go no you sound funny and they're like what a you know I, I can't do the New York accent. And uh, like, whatever, I go, go watch the nightly news. At the time, it was Peter Jennings, Tom Brokaw, and I can't remember the other guy, but they're from Kansas, North Dakota, where I'm close to the states where I live. And right. I was like, go watch national news, and then come back and tell me if I talk funny. And they yeah. came back and they're like, we talk funny. I was like, yes, you do. I got that. I yeah. got that here too. They're like, you have an accent. I'm like, no, I don't. You have an accent. <laughs> I, was now like, I have a partial island accent yeah yeah oh yeah yeah that was the word that was the hardest to get away from if i don't didn't think about it it would come out long island and <laughs> if i didn't think about it and more i conditioned myself i can say long island but yeah that was the word that stuck with me forever but i we were in a, a meeting one time in the news station and our my boss goes we're getting a down link in from California later. And I was like, my ladies, man, where's California? He's like, you don't know where California is at? And I was like, you mean California? And I like hard, <laughs> that hard A. And he's like, whatever. And walked in. And I was like, say it right. I, I know where it's at. I was just busting the That's ball. so funny. Oh, gosh. There's I no can't. R on California. It's just an A. And what about coffee? Oh, yeah. Coffee. Coffee. yeah. Oh, yeah. 
go down to Turdy Turn and Turd Street and watch the birds chirp. And oh, yeah, there was. I can't even drink coffee anymore, coffee. so I don't want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it was. And but getting there, yeah, a lot of people are like, oh, you're from Wyoming. Oh, I can get one over on this country kid, you know. And I'm like, I lived in a, you know, a city for Wyoming. I mean, 35,000 people. Like we had streets, we had power. We were not, I didn't ride a horse. That was my style or anything. I, if I was that guy, I probably wouldn't be living in New York right now. And so there, yeah, they would it's think, that. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, but I'm also like, it was a good experience, but I'm, I'm glad to be back West again. Um, yeah. I, I <laughs> won't give it up. Wouldn't give up what I learned there and who I wanted to be and what I liked and what I wanted to work in and all the experiences um, even work at the TV station. I mean, I met celebrities a lot. We interviewed them. Um, those kind of people, sports people, went to concerts. Um, yeah, I made some great friends. I don't get out there enough. They all hate me because I don't come back. But I'm also like, I did leave with a divorce. So I went back like 10 years after that. And I was like, I'm not going to do any of the same stuff. My friend lived in Brooklyn just going to not. And then next thing you know, we're going to long Island to see his parents, which I love, but that was like the next city over was where I lived. And I was like, Oh, all these memories come back. Uh, but I need, I want to get back so bad again. Cause I do miss well, it. Back and yeah. say hi. That's for oh, sure. Of course. Thank you for a coffee. Yeah. Coffee. Yeah. We'll talk. And uh, yeah, it's it, there. I didn't feel as much of an outsider. Like, well, cause in, school you know junior high you're it's more of a fishbowl than it was in new york it was different because i'm in wyoming you're walking down the street and you say hi to somebody they say hi back in new york i'd be like hey they'd be like what do you want i'd be like hey <laughs> easy <laughs> there <laughs> be there just saying yeah. hi you know like are like what's up with you you know they're like that's nah. so funny you know we yeah. just went to georgia right for the isas yeah and i took my family my daughter was with with me at the the hotel lobby yeah. and people were literally walking off the elevator, walking by saying, good morning. Hi, how are you? My daughter's <laughs> like, and she's like, mom, they said, hi. I'm like, yes. Cause that's what you're kind of supposed to do. We just don't do that in New York. Yeah. You don't employ that. No. But uh, I, I used to like give people a hard time. Cause one, as I'm sure I was one of them in the, in the city. Cause I always say the only city in the world is New York city. So when you say the city, and I was walking in downtown Manhattan, you know, you stare at the skyscrapers. Everybody does it for the first time. Like, oh my God, this place is amazing. But there's generally someone behind you that's working and, and they'll yell at you for stopping in the middle of their highway. They're like, <laughs> why'd you just stop? Get over tourists. They don't use those words, but, and look at the building somewhere else, just not in front of me. Yeah. And then once I got used to living out there, like I'd have friends visit and I'd be like, they'd do the same thing. And I just grab them and pull them in. I'd be like, look at it here, not in the middle of that. And they're like, oh yeah. I go, that guy's on his way to his job. So we got to get out the get out the way right now. And, but it was that kind of, it was very fast paced and the attitude, even the um, long and expressway exits are really quick. Like I noticed <laughs> like a lot of that stuff when I was there and, um, but it's, it's an experience. I always say people, you got to go visit. Um, definitely got to visit Manhattan, see all that good stuff. I don't know if I'd live there again, unless I had tons of money um, or the right opportunity came up, of course, but it, I mean, it's great to 
to talk to somebody that still lives in that that area. Where do you live in? You live in Long Island? Or are you living? Yeah, I I live in Suffolk County, so okay. I'm yep. not far from where you used to live. Yep, but um, it's just it's crazy. It's it's so different from where I grew up. You yeah. know, it's very different from where I grew up and from where I lived. I just it's just getting used to a new lifestyle, new way of life, and everything here is so fast. Everybody's fast. Everything yeah. is fast, and you know, you just have to get used to it, but I'm pretty right. happy. All right, people, there are two counties on Long Island, Nassau County and Suffolk County. Suffolk County uh, is about in the middle, and it goes all about to, uh, like, Hot Hamptons, all that. So just giving the listeners, because they're like, I know what oh, Suffolk County is. Nassau is. County, yeah. yeah. Yes, it's about, like, a 50-minute an hour drive to the city. There you go. The yeah, city, you the city, you know, there you go. You, this city, and I'm going out to the island. I live on the island. I see yeah, that in yeah. Wyoming, and people are like, what city and what island are you talking about? <laughs> but I talk to a New Yorker, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so that, that's always, and I go, there's only one, oh, my lightsaber is going off in the background. There's oh, only no. one city in the world. And I'm like, yeah, I get it when people say it. And they all think, everyone thinks it's, when I say I lived in New York, they automatically think I lived in like, downtown Manhattan and I was like I lived on Long Island and they're like what and I go there is like uh, another part in New York like I used to think you came over from Europe and there was a Statue of Liberty like right there but no there's this big old island first and everything so uh I have to explain that like okay I was like I didn't I worked with people you know I did stories that covered that number one market but I did not live in in the city and I did not go there unless i had like concerts or or friends were in town but i didn't just go hang out for no reason at all in the beginning yeah (laughs) but otherwise i'm like no i'm good i'll stay out here um not unless we have to and i mean there are definitely places in manhattan i I love greenwich village i love um brooklyn and i love going to yankee games i'm a yankee fan and uh so yeah there's there's the enemies tons of my friends and i always tell them they're like move out west and they'll never will because all their family lives in long island I'm like just wide open spaces out here you know and they're like oh and i go it doesn't take you an hour to get to work it takes me seven minutes to get to work <laughs> yeah that's awesome i you know you notice people's temperament is so different too when they're out west like i feel yeah. like everybody's it's like even going in the south like people are much oh, yeah. more they're slower it's the pace is slow i don't mean they're slower i mean like the pace is slower and it's good because sometimes you don't realize that here we're like on overdrive constantly and yeah oh yeah <laughs> and people will notice that if they're they really can pick up on that dialect that i grew up in oregon and one of my best friends lived in Lar- you know grew up in laramie born here and we sound different i go yeah I'm more dude and he's more y'all like he has a draw i'm more dude like <laughs> kind of stuff and and they're like oh wow they noticed it in new york when we were working the summer camp they're like you guys come from the same town but you sound different and i'm like wow you weird that you picked that up because i come from the west coast more than i did laramie and he's been laramie all his life and so there's a little bit of the drawl than there is from where I grew up, like I said, I'm more dude and he's more y'all. And so, yeah, it's, it's interesting to notice. I pick up that stuff and it's so interesting to think 
you know, the, the size of the US that all different parts have different dialects and different accents. I was that way in Canada. Was it like, cause I make, I laugh, I make jokes to my friends that, live, that grew up in like Minnesota and North Dakota. And I'm like, you sound like a Canadian. Like you got that, those hard, like, but, but all my Norwegian relatives moved to North Dakota. And so when I talk to them, they all, they, they sound like they could be on the other side of the border. They could be Canadian. And, and the, that's okay. Yeah. To answer your question, definitely yeah. everybody sound different. And I'm from Quebec, so most people there speak oh, French. French, yeah. So just on that account alone, yeah, you know, the accent, the intonation, the pronunciation, like everything is so different. The tone, the sounds, I, you know, it's much, much different. And the people who are native English speakers, uh, the more west you go, they sound much, much different than uh. the East Coast. And the people that are like in the... Um, uh, maritime provinces have a much different sound as well. Yeah. And you, I, I used to work on the phones for the airline and whenever they would call, I would always joke in my head. I knew where they were calling me from, regardless of, you know, I didn't have to see where their caller ID was from. Yeah. I knew, Oh, they're calling from Newfoundland. Okay. They're calling from Calgary just because they had a different sound and the yeah. t- like how quickly they spoke or you know, some people would speak really slowly and have all the time in the world. Yeah. You know, other people would be like, come on, hurry up, let's go. We're going to, you know, get, a, get that flight booked right now. You know, they're calling from the East Coast, right? So. Yes. Oh, yeah. I noticed when I, yeah, the longer I lived in New York, I became that guy. I was like, uh-huh, go, go, talk, talk faster, talk faster, talk faster. Because I'm <laughs> you know, here, we're talking going time faster. Funny. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Wyoming guy, I don't have time for your story that lasts four hours, whatever. Okay. Yeah. I was there at one time, not as much anymore. I'm like, yeah, okay. To talk as slow as you like. And, uh, oh. And so. Hold on one second. All right. There we go. Just adjustments. Uh, it's all right. It's radio. All right. It's not radio. It is podcasts. Uh, <laughs> And I can add it too. I had to go grab my charger. Oh yeah, that happens. Um, so you mentioned an injury that you couldn't do your job anymore. What happened there? So I got injured, um, I guess 14 years ago, I got a back injury and, wow. uh, it was really bad and I couldn't do much. I was in so much pain and I happened to be pregnant with my daughter at the same time. So oh, it was just like really, really hard time because um, it was just really painful. There's so much like pain of all different kinds. Like I had such horrible nerve pain and like pain and, oh, it was just really bad. And, um, it lasts for a really long time. I still have pain every day. Um, it is better now, but I've had surgery and I've had multiple procedures and I have to have another surgery and just on a daily basis, the pain is always there, but it is much improved from where it was. But um, it just was a very difficult time. I didn't pretty much leave my house for like three years. Um, I was stuck at home a lot. And it was, it was just really hard getting back on my feet. Um, my, my actually, my brand new single, Reason to Rise, actually talks about the journey yeah. in the song. It actually really talks about the whole process. So being injured when you're not in your home country, when you have nobody around, is very humbling because you have to find your way and, and 
you know, get back on your feet and you don't have the support that normally you would have if you were home where you had, you know, your family and your friends or your, like you said, the people you went to school with or your neighbors. Yeah. It's very different when you're isolated and you're home by your, by yourself. I and mean, my husband worked every day. So it was a very, it was a challenging experience, but, um, you know, we got through it and I'm making the most of it now. And I'm trying to not let it stop me from doing anything else that I want and have to do in my life. So back injuries are the worst. I mean, I I've had minimal ones, um, but that's your core. That's that it's everything and any cough move adjustment. It can tweak those injuries. My yeah. dad had major surgery. My best friends had major back surgery. Um, my girlfriend's going through a thing with pinched nerve in the neck. And yeah, I'm always like, there's probably a good reason. I watched my dad beat up his body or he told me about it. He went, he worked construction in Vietnam and he had always, he's always working with his back and he finally had the surgery. And I was like, I'm going to do things that I don't hurt my back. Cause that is the worst. And I've had minor ones got through. I mostly have shoulder issues from carrying a camera and playing football. And so um, I don't do that as anymore. So they're healing. But when I first was getting away from carrying a camera, my, my chiropractor was like, do you carry something on your right shoulder? And I'm like, yep, yeah, about 35 pounds. And he's like, oh yeah, you, can you stop that? I'm like getting away from it and uh, are keeping it on my shoulder less. But I noticed those things caught out to me later and yeah, it's so debilitating. And so I feel for you. I mean, that, I mean, you get, if that makes you stay home and you're home and you have to, the, the pain, it's just, it's rough. And, and, and you're pregnant. Oh my God. Yeah. I could imagine. It, type of thing. it was, it was a really, really, really hard time. I think it's one of those things that when you're going through it, you don't realize how hard it is because you're just getting through it. I mean, yeah. you know how hard it is, but you don't stop and think about how hard it is because then you would be immobilized, not do anything and just, yeah. you know, but you just push through and truck through. And, um, these last few years have really, really opened my eyes to how much I've overcome. And it's just been amazing because I didn't want the rest of my life to be written in that same story, you know, yeah. and yeah. So, I realized, you know, I'm going to be home in pain, suffering either way. And I have something important to do. And I'm very, very, very motivated to show my daughter that, you know, being down and having a disability or being in, you know, like for me in pain and not being able to do what I want to do or what I could do or should do or things that other people could do easily. I struggle to do. Um, I shouldn't let that stop me from pursuing things that I want to do. Because I tell her all the time, it shouldn't stop her from pursuing her dreams. She has autism. And I always tell her that having autism shouldn't stop her from living her dreams and pursuing something. Even if it's harder for her, she should still go for it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I felt it was really important to show her with my actions that I'm doing it. And I want you to see me trying as hard as I can, no matter how hard it gets. So, you know, this is what it looks like. And it can be done and it will be done. And you're going to have the same success. You know, there's nothing that you can't do. Yeah. I, I always, when I, autism has become a huge, huge thing of late, maybe it wasn't diagnosed back in the day, but I'm also I always say, I'm like the autism people show us a different view of the world. Absolutely. 
And, and I think we need to embrace it more um, because their views are sometimes a better one. Like, I happen to agree with you yeah. 100%. I have tears in my eyes because I oh, feel the same Like, yeah. I always say, like, I wish people could see the world through my daughter's eyes. Yeah. Because she sees things in such a beautiful way. And she's so loving and so caring and so giving. And she wants to help the entire world. And she'll see something and she'll see it completely differently than I do. And it doesn't make it wrong. No. It makes it different. And we've been conditioned to only see things one way for so long that we always assume that somebody who sees it differently is wrong, but they're not. Sometimes there's a more efficient way to do it because their brain is, you know, analyzing things differently. And that's cool. One of my best friends, his son's autistic and man, he like, I love talking to him because yeah, he gives me different perspective on so many different things. And I'm like, sometimes he's just matter of fact with me. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, you're 15 and you're just matter of fact with me. And I, I go, that what I want to hear, like, or I need to hear, not what I want to hear. It's what I need to hear. And you're, you're saying it and I love it. And it's great talking. About it. And it, yeah, and I didn't realize that probably more people I knew were autistic. They just probably weren't diagnosed and, and such. So I, um, yeah it's it's become a like more lives being shown on it and, and and but yet i think it's a it's a view of the world that um we need i um, agree 100 we need the more we need, than we need yeah. more people who think that way like the way you just said yeah. you know i hear so many times you know we have to teach our children with autism or or differences to fit in with the rest of the world and i think no we need to teach the rest of the world how to fit in and make the world a good place for everybody. Yeah. Not the and, other way around. There's nothing wrong with the way my child thinks. No. And, and what if, what if it's now the future of humanity, maybe it's the earth changes or, or you know, higher powers, whatever is changing us into thinking differently. And so it's producing people with autism to make us think differently about things to make us turn this filter on to learn. I mean, that's why I kind of see it as that. Yeah. Maybe our this quote unquote normal way of thinking incontinent right now. And maybe we need to change in, in overall um, thinking as a society. And I think autism may push us in a better direction for that kind of stuff. Uh, Thank you for saying that. That's really beautiful. And Really, I think as somebody who always hears people mention autism or frequently hear them mention it, like, yeah. oh, she has autism. I'm sorry. No, don't be sorry. She's awesome. Yeah. I wouldn't change her for anything. And I'm so glad that you said that because I know so many children that have different levels of autism, or, you know, different function, like high function, low function, whatever. Yeah. They are so filled with light and with love. And they are so amazing to be around. We can all learn something from them. We could all learn something from them, even the ones who don't speak, because you have to wonder how difficult it must be. I mean, I've lost my voice for a day before and I couldn't speak. I was so frustrated. I couldn't, I couldn't talk and get my words out. I can't imagine not being able to get my point across. Yeah. And the, the restraint that it must take to not have a meltdown every minute because I know I would if I yeah. couldn't talk and I mean, mm, mm, you know, yeah. like, so 
you know, there's something to be learned from each of these children. And it, it's just amazing. It, it amazes me. It really does. I've met so many incredible people, young people, older people that have autism and different disabilities. And I've learned so much from them. And I feel like my life is better for it. And when I lose my voice, when it happens from time to time, I'm like, maybe I just need a timeout from talking. Maybe I just need to listen for a while. And then, Sign language, yeah. whiteboard. Yeah. Yeah, like maybe this is a sign, like you say, for me to listen more and talk less. My voice has been strained. It's time to listen more to people than than talk and everything. Um, Yeah, I'm using all your time here. Uh, How did you know that you wanted to start writing and recording music? I know I'm just switched off autism, but I'm like, that's okay. Yeah. You didn't switch off of it because it's a segue to how nice. I got where I am. So um, so I mentioned earlier that I was injured while I was pregnant with yeah. my daughter. My life completely went to a standstill. Everything stopped. And everything that I was able to do before then, I couldn't do anymore. My life literally, I mean, I was at the top of my life. Everything was amazing. And it just came to a grinding halt all of a sudden. So everything that I kind of wanted to do in my life and, and continue doing everything just stopped. And I kind of lost sense of who I was. It was a really hard time. Um, and it, this went on for years. I mean, I couldn't do things like almost anything. I couldn't, I couldn't sit, I couldn't stand, I couldn't this, I couldn't that, I couldn't do anything. So anything I really wanted to do or enjoy doing, I couldn't do. And, um, the one thing I really always wanted to do my whole life was have a career in music and to sing. I never did because I loved my job. I didn't want to leave my job that I had security and a great job to go and pursue, you know, my dream to sing and get paid no money um, to sing because I had a great career and I didn't really want to jeopardize my career at the time to, to pursue that. And I always figured that once I got settled, there would be time. And then when I got injured, that was clear that, it wasn't going to happen. I literally lost my ability to sing <clears throat> between my pain, my injury, and just everything that was going on with my body. I couldn't move my mouth to the music. I was like constantly like stuttering and I was like so slow and I just couldn't coordinate and I'd lost my ability. And it was the worst time in my life. And earlier I was saying how music was always like my friend and I would tell my stories and my experiences through songs, right? Like I would sing my heart out. And here I was going through the worst time in my entire life. I was completely alone because my husband was working seven days a week and it was just me and my daughter and I couldn't get it out. I couldn't sing it out. I couldn't scream it out. I couldn't do any of that. And it just felt like I'd been silenced and it was the worst feeling in the world. I think it almost felt worse than the pain itself because here I was going through something so difficult and I had no means whatsoever to express it. And I just it was awful. And, um, I was devastated that I was like, I'm never going to be able to sing again. I'm never going to be able to sing again. And this is just, you know, and I accepted it and I just said, okay, well, I guess along with everything else, I'm not going to be able to do, I'm not going to be able to sing again. And that's life. And, uh, when my daughter was two and a half, she was diagnosed with autism. And, when she was, I guess, around seven, you know, we sat her down and we told her, you know, sometimes you're having a hard time with this because you have something called autism. There's nothing wrong with it. It will just make a little bit more challenging for you to do these things. And 
these kinds of things like math, science, learn, like reading, those things come easily to you, but other situations are a little more challenging for you. And it's nothing wrong with you, but now you'll understand why you're having some, you know, struggles with these things and other things come easier to you. And I said to her, but you know what? You can do anything. You could be anything. I actually had gone online and I had Googled all of the people like in history who had autism. I had, there was a Miss America who had autism. There's inventors, uh, scientists, uh, musicians, um, you know, people all over the world, different walks of life. And I said, all of these things, you see doctors, people leave accomplished things, monumental things. They've created things, discovered things. You can do anything and you can be anything. There's anything you want in your heart, you can do. I believe in you and you may have to work harder at it, but your disability will never stop you. And here I am telling her all of this. And I was curled up in a ball and my life had like really just shut down. Right. And I'm like, this kid is smart enough to know that I'm telling her this, but mommy's at home in pain on the couch and can't move. And how do I explain to her that it's going to be okay for her, but it, it's not okay for me. And it's like, no, that's not going to fly. I have to teach her by showing her with my actions. And that's really what kickstarted my journey. And it really, really pushed me out there. And if it wouldn't have been for her, I wouldn't have pursued this dream. I wouldn't have put myself out there, but I have to show her, even if I fall flat on my face, I'm going to get back up. Even if I have to hold on to a wall or a curtain or a cane, I don't care. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to show her, this is what it looks like when you go out there and you give everything you have, then you can be proud of yourself. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but you have to try. And I made myself a promise that this is what I was going to do because this is what I always wanted to do. And at this time, I still couldn't really sing. I couldn't keep up with music. And I knew that this is what I needed to do. And music is what ended up healing me the most. And this whole journey through music has been life-changing. It's been incredible. The, it's been cathartic. It's been healing. It's been empowering. It's healed things that I've gone through since my childhood. And for the last 10 years, 15 years, it's healed me. And in a way that nothing else could possibly heal me. And um, I refer to that in the song Reason to Rise because Reason to Rise really encapsulates all of that, the whole last 14 years. You know, it just basically is like, I fell so low. I got shut out from the inside and I was in a new place and I know where to hide. And it talks about how the worst thing that ever happened to me became the best thing that ever happened to me. And on this journey, I found myself, the person that I had lost when all these bad things were happening, I found me and I'm not just me. I'm the, the me, the version of me that I always wanted to be. And I couldn't have done that without my daughter because she inspired me. And my daughter taught me to be patient and she taught me to have grace and she taught me to forgive and music has allowed me to forgive and music has allowed me to heal. And throughout this journey, writing these songs has freed me of everything that I had been holding on to. And it's given me the wings to fly. So it's writing songs. The songs that I write are all based on my personal experiences. Every single one of the songs that you heard me sing, they're all things that have happened to me. Happy, sad, funny, empowering. They're all real stories. They've all happened. Outside my window, that's a true story. Out of the blue, it's how I met my husband. 17 is our life together. 
Um, I can go on. Home is wherever you are when I couldn't go home for the holidays and couldn't see my family for years. So every single one of these songs are real stories for me. And their music is how I breathe and music is how I heal. And it's how I tell my stories. So when I took the path to write my songs, it did more than just create music. It gave me life. Yeah. Because as I was creating these bodies of work and these songs, they were giving me life. They were breathing life into me because music, like I said, music is how I breathe and it's how I heal. And for me, it's my truth because it's my reality. Yeah. And I, I've been writing songs ever since I was a teenager, but I've never ever put them to music. I've never produced them. I've never brought them to life. It wasn't until I started my journey five years ago the first song that I wrote was with my first producer. It is not at all a representation of my current music because the style is more EDM and it's not country oh, okay. uh, or singer songwriter, but the song is called don't count me out just yet. That was the very first song I ever wrote and released. And it was incredible for me because I never thought I'd sing again. I never thought I'd perform again. And here I am singing, performing and recording my very own song. And this song is about being down, but not out. It's about, you know, hey, I might not look the way I used to, but I'm still here and I, I'm not done. I haven't done everything that I set out to do and you haven't seen the last of me. And that was the first song that I ever wrote and released. And people called that my anthem. That was my Robbie's anthem, you know. And then when I came out with Eye of the Storm, people said, okay, well, that's Anthem 2.0 now because, <laughs> you know, Don't Count Me Out was coming from a point of view where I was still down, but I was getting back up. So don't count me out. I'm still getting back up. You know, Eye of the Storm, there was a little bit of attitude and sass and saying, yeah, you feel bad for me, but don't because you don't know who I am and what I can do. And I'm fierce and I'm strong and I'm unstoppable. But Reason to Rise is Anthem 3.0 with like two big stars <laughs> next to it because it tells the story of how I took pain and I took it into, I turned it into my purpose. And in so I discovered my reason to rise above my pain and everything that had happened to me. And it is an anthem and it is an empowering song. It's not a sad song. It's about how in the worst times, in the worst moment, I had to have faith and the faith and the music and my daughter, they gave me a reason to rise above it. And I found my purpose and discovering yourself is such a gift. And I'm so blessed that I got to do this on my musical journey because I may never have had this opportunity had I not gotten hurt. And had I not had that terrible experience, I may never have had this experience to be who I always was meant to be. And my life would be completely different. And I'm so grateful that even though that happened and it wasn't good, something amazing happened out of it. And I have no regrets about that. I'm very happy that I am who I always was meant to be. And, you know, I always say nothing good ever happens in your comfort zone. No real progress or growth happens in your comfort yeah. zone, you know, and when you're at the point where you're kind of losing everything and you have nothing left to lose, sometimes it's the time to say, Hey, listen, Now's the time I'm going to give it everything I have. And I have, I have to put in faith. And when you do that, sometimes amazing things happen. Do you remember, I mean, that's amazing story to turn 
pain into songwriting i mean i'm sure it's been done but um is amazing i i think i try to write songs in my younger days and oh they're i'm glad i can't find them because i'm sure they were hard garbage um uh, uh but i know i knew uh, when i left new york and got my divorce i was in a very down place but i was like now i'm gonna be the person i want to be now's the time to to change to where I want to make myself happy, be happy and, and may not, might not make everyone happy, but it's, it was a jumping off point from a place of not necessarily major injury, but a, a place of very down, very but like it, I failed in life, but now I can change it to, to be successful. And so I kind of, you know, I relate in that sense. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. When I went back to Laramie, I was like, I got to love the place. I'm going to do things I never did before living here. Um, when I date, I'm going to be a hundred percent me and what makes me happy. If you don't like it, fine. That's not, I'm not a race cup of tea, but it's, it's it, coming out of a place where you're like, there's nowhere but up, but I don't know how to get up. And yeah, your, your song reason to rise is that kind of anthem of it where, um, but I got to, and now I've found reason to get out of bed every day and, and to rise and, and do stuff. And I got sports system, got a daughter, got a husband, love me fans that are behind me hundred percent. And, and, and you, it just makes you happier and, and it's healing you, which is interesting because there's so much medicine out in the world, uh, you know, pills and stuff like that. But music, I, it's saved me too many times from, being depressed being a lot of things and and so when you guys write when you guys write your music and it speaks to me it's it's awesome and i can feel it with you and, and so i'm so thankful for artists i'm lucky enough to be able to play a bunch of you know great music and stuff um i wish i had the talent to do all that but um do you remember the first song that you started singing like you started working on not maybe writing your own but once you were like you were talking about how you couldn't even get the lyrics out of your mouth, but what was that first song that kind of was like, I got, I got I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Um, it was, I think it was a whole new world. The okay. song Keep up racing. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and I think it was that song and I couldn't sing anything faster than that. I think that was too fast for me. I had to sing really slow songs because I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, but I was hell bent and it was for my daughter's school. They needed wow. somebody to sing something. And I was like, I can sing. No, I can't. Yes, I can. No, I can't. <laughs> it was like, and I just wanted her to be proud. I just, I wanted her to like, you have to understand that my, my daughter was born, you know, after my injury and she never knew me from before. She didn't know how kick butt I was Yeah. and all these awesome things that I did. Right. And she only knew me one way. And I was like, that's not okay. She doesn't know who I am. I can't have her growing up thinking that this is who I am, you know, yeah. cause it's not who I am. And, um, I remember that there was an opportunity to sing a song and I was painfully shy. I mean, I always was shy to sing in front of people, but here I was even more because I was like here, you know, I walked with a cane. I was limping really badly. I was totally crooked. It was, I think right before my surgery and then right after my surgery. And I was like, I was, you know, I looked normal to some extent because I'm, you know, young and, you know, modern, but 
I also looked like I was 80 at the same time, you know? So I was very self-conscious. I was extremely self-conscious and I didn't want to be in front of people. I didn't want people looking at me. Cause I was like, I don't want them staring at me. And they, I feel very uncomfortable because then you know, people look pitifully at me and here I am like, with my, in my, my cane, which is over here. Yeah. Yeah. I and I saw uh, that in the ISIS awards and I was like, I had listened to your interview with Jeff, but so I knew, but I was like, I just call it your, your pimp stick. <laughs> <laughs> I have a few of them actually. I do this because I'm married and it would be very scandalous, yeah. but I usually call him my boyfriend or my plus one. I gotcha. I gotcha. Uh, he comes with me everywhere, but it's not really proper for me to say that because I am married. So I yeah. shouldn't really say yeah. that. People who are listening that don't hear the whole conversation may, yeah. may say, you know, do they go, oh, yeah. But no, um, they come with me everywhere. I have like multiple. So I have like two of these guys. I have a really beautiful blinged out one and a tiger one. But, um, Anyways, no. that's not the point. But my point oh, is okay. about being um, the, the singing, you know, I think that the desire to sing was so strong that I wasn't going to not be able to do it. And I think sometimes the songs we choose to sing, whether we know it or not, give us answers to questions we don't know we have. Yeah. You know, sometimes there's a message there that we need but we don't know it and it's on another level and then we're like oh that's a really cool song because it goes a lot with what i'm going through right now it you know really it really is close to what i'm dealing with and it's like is that an accident <laughs> but um i think that that was a big point for me that and hallelujah and hallelujah um when i first sang for people i was invited to sing for a group of veterans and I ended up singing the veterans version of Hallelujah. And I was so, so nervous because I hadn't sang in front of people in very, very many years. Now, again, I was just getting back out there. Very, I, I say broken, you know, like very, like not in the shape I'm in right now, which is much better than how I was very self-conscious. And um, I hadn't sang in front of a, a live group. And there's like quite a few people there. And it was a celebration for a group of veterans veterans. And um, somebody said, you have to come and sing the veteran version of Hallelujah. And all I remembered thinking was, please don't let me fall. Please don't let my legs give out because my legs give out and I fall. And like, please don't let me fall. And I kept thinking of how brave these people were when they went to war. And I can be brave and stand there without falling for like three minutes and 40 seconds. And I can do this because. I thought about the sacrifice that they made and it's nothing in comparison to what I need to do, which is just not fall for th three minutes and 40 seconds. And, uh, I did. And, you know, the desire to not fail was so strong and I did it. And then from there, it was just repeating something I already did over and over again. And yeah. in life, when you do that and you create like a blueprint for something and you redo it over and over again, you've done it once. So you can do it again. And that's how I kind of see things. And I always say that, you know, I did this once, so now I can do it again and I repeat it and I didn't fall and I didn't, you know, nothing terrible happened. So I started to gain confidence and it's like, you know, I don't care if people look at me funny or if they stare at me and if they think that I look funny and that's okay. I'm not there for them. I'm here for the veterans or I'm here for the people I'm singing to. And I really don't care. I'm doing something I never thought I would do. And I'm so happy to be able to do it. And 
there's no better feeling than that. Yeah. I mean, do you get that rut? Like you're in the, you're singing for people and, and you're in the middle of it. And are you, do you get that rush of like, I'm killing this song or they're engaged. I don't, this, I do you notice know. that? Or are you just, I, you're just into the lyrics? I, I feel like I connect with people when I'm performing and that is a very important thing for me because I'm not just singing words. I'm, I'm telling a story and most of the songs I sing are inspirational, empowering, or just positive and uplifting. So for me, it's really important to make sure that every part of me is communicating that when I'm singing and I'm hoping that it's coming across and that the people that are hearing it, not only hear it through my voice, but feel it and see it through my body language. So that I'm hoping, and I'm not really hoping, I'm not really thinking of what I'm looking like at the moment, as long as I'm maintaining uh, my composure that I'm supposed to as an artist, you know, like my performance, you know, um, but there are times that I'm overpowered and overcome with emotion. Like I one time was invited to sing the anthem for the 75th um, anniversary of the battle of the bulge. There were four remaining uh, veterans that were in the audience. And I remembered there was nothing but my voice and oh. it was acapella and I had no microphone stand to hold on to. Now I was singing the anthem. It's only a minute, 40 seconds. And I just remembered starting to sing the anthem and I looked over and I started almost bawling because I realized the company with whom I was standing, you know, they were right next to me and these are real heroes yeah. And I was like, that was really difficult because now I'm thinking I'm like very exposed, right? Because it's acapella. Everybody's looking at me because I'm singing the anthem. And um, I was just, I realized where I was and who I was singing to. And it was just incredible. And it was probably the biggest honor of my entire life. I asked, I, now, that, now that you're a friend, um, I always ask us of friends, and then we're talking music. Uh, I always go, who's your top five music artists? I know it's hard to do. Um, I've asked everybody. Um, I mean, I get down to about four. And then that fifth one, I'm always like, ah, there's so many artists out there. But who? I, they don't have to be your influence. It's just your top five. My maybe, favorite? Maybe Desert okay. Island. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, top five. Favorite, favorite is Roy Orbison. Favorite. Or, or, yep. He gets like the starring role in my life. Okay, because he, like he's oh, love him. Um, love Juice Newton. I mean, she spoke to me so much growing up and I just love her. Um, right now, I'm really feeling Luke Combs uh -huh. like a lot. I love his music and Chris Stapleton. Yeah. Stapleton. And I like, I think you're right about the five. I think that's crazy. I mean, I have some other artists that I like, but they're like, kind of like in the same tie as other artists, but, oh, and the other one is Michael Buble. I mean, I have to have him in there because I adore him. See, He's just, his voice is amazing. <laughs> it, it's, you know, it's not just his voice. It's every single thing about him. You know, I've seen him in concert three times and I'm not a huge concert person because like, well, I wasn't really a huge concert person because I couldn't get out for many years, but yeah. My husband wanted to do something really nice for me when I was trying to be able to get out again. And he got me tickets. He wanted to take me to see Phantom of the Opera, which is what I always wanted to see. Uh, but yeah. they wouldn't allow me to stand up during the show. And I couldn't sit for two hours or three oh, okay. hours. So we said, okay, we're not going to do that. But he knew I loved Michael Buble. 
And he's like, okay, I'm taking you to the concert. And I was like, so self-conscious again, because here I am at this concert and I'm like, I can't sit in a seat. Right. So I had to get up. And the first thing that Michael Bublé says at the beginning of his concert, now, listen, you guys bought your tickets. You spent this money. You can get up. You can sit down. You can stand on your seat. I don't care. You do whatever you want. That's your seat. And you paid for it. And I felt this immediate feeling of nobody's going to stare at me. I feel like somebody just gave me the keys to the car. Basically like, wow, that empowered me so much because I was so self-conscious of how am I going to sit through a concert? If I keep getting up, they're going to get annoyed. And it's most people don't have to think about these things because they can sit down through a concert, you know? And I was like, yes. And when he said that, I was just like, that's why you're my favorite because I feel like I have the right to be here. And you know, he gave, he's just, he has a great show. He's hilarious. He should be, and if he wasn't so attractive and such a great like singer, he should have been a comedian because he's hilarious, you know, and his shows are just so much fun to watch. He was a uh, music guest on Saturday Night Live and he did a couple skits. They were pretty good that he jumped in on. So that was good. You know, like John Hamm was the host and they did Ham and Boublier. <laughs> and it was a commercial. And so, and he was playing along with it and he, he had great timing and everything. So I can imagine he's probably great uh, to see. And I'm like, when I'm at, I go, I've gone to a ton of concerts and I'm like, stand, stand, I don't care what you do. If I just saw you standing all the time, I was like, she's feeling Michael Boublier. That's yeah, good. Good. Be standing. It's all right. Uh, I'm more worried about the people that sit like, and if it's not a venue, like if it's a, maybe a jazz show or something and, and, or like classic music and everybody's the whole crowd. That's kind of the vibe sitting. But if everybody's up down sitting, I'm like, yes, do that. I feel weird that people are sitting like behind me. I'm like, stand up. Like this is, you can't really move around and feel the music sitting down the whole time. So this is true. we actually just yeah. went and saw Eric Clapton like a couple of weeks ago. Oh, wow. He was at the garden and, um, you know, Madison Square Garden. Yes, not uh, my garden. I know the garden. garden. He was in the garden. Yeah. Um, that was a cool show. And, oh. uh, but there's a lot of sitting there. I think that may have been because of the, you know, the concert age group. Yes. But, a little bit older there. Yeah. But <laughs> a great show. It was a really cool show. But um, yeah, that was a cool show. I'm going to stand until I can't at shows. Like, that's how I kind of feel. Like, and I kind of went that way at sporting events. I'm trying to make sure I'm in the right spot to stand until I can't. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. I want to be able to sit, I'll sit, but I want to, I'll, I'll stand most of the time, um, especially at concerts and stuff. I can't groove and shake it sitting down. But what about a baseball game though? Like, can you sit for like nine innings? I don't know. I'll get up. I'll get, no. Yeah. It's been a long time since I sat through baseball game, like gone through a full. That's hard. Uh, hard. And like, I even uh, was a, they have, developmental baseball league here in laramie during the summers which is college kids probably uh sophomores through juniors and or or freshmen sophomore juniors and i was the music guy i played the music for their walk up for all the stuff and it was a short season and i was like i can't do this the whole time like i enjoy the playing the music but i mean i mean i get up and and stand in in the press box but i was like 
no, no, I can't sit through all this. And so, yeah, baseball, if I went to a baseball game, I'd probably get up or walk around or go stand in the standing room spot. Um, but like I go to football games, the University of Wyoming, where I have season tickets and my friends and I stand through the whole game practically. I'll sit down and get a little tired or during like timeouts, but I'm generally up. I was like, well, I can, because I know there may be a time period in my life where I might not be able to stand as long. I was like, I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand. Oh, that's it. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. And so if I saw anybody else, I'm like, they're in my same boat. I wouldn't think that's they're, cool. they're over there being injured or anything. I was like, they, yeah. they're standing or whatever. Good. Or you may inspire me to stand. Like, <laughs> I was sitting down. I was like, I'm going to get up. That girl's feeling it over there. I'm going to get up too. And it's so, actually really funny. So sometimes people like, I think when anybody has anything that they're self-conscious of, they yeah. always overthink, right? You always think yeah, like, oh, people are going to notice. And it's so funny um, because there's this little restaurant that we go to eat at quite frequently. And when we first went there for the first time, they have tables that are almost a counter height, but they're not, they're just a little bit lower. Oh, yeah. And so my family sits while we eat and I stand so I stand and I actually look like I'm sitting. So it's like the only place that we go eat where they look like they're sitting and oh, well, they're sitting and I look like I'm supposed to be sitting and I'm sitting, but I'm not. And it's pretty cool. And um, I mentioned that to the owner one time. I'm like, you know, this really makes me feel like I belong here because <laughs> I stand while they're sitting and I don't feel out of place, you know, and because um, it's hard for me to sit on those kinds of chairs and whatnot. But anyway, um, it's just so funny that I thought everybody noticed that I was standing and they didn't even notice because I just blended it right in. So yeah. I understand when that when you're at a Broadway show and they're like, no, no, you can't stand up doing that. <laughs> we might, don't they, don't they come through the audience too in Phantom? There's a oh. couple of times they do stuff. So I wouldn't know. I never got to see it. Uh, <laughs> I, Cause I, 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 I saw Lion King there. And they had they had stuff that came through the audience. We were like six row, yeah. It was three dimensional, kind of like over the top you, behind you. So they're probably like, for your own safety, please don't stand <laughs> and stuff. But yeah, I understand. I mean, if you're sure you're like, I hit sit. Yeah, I got to stand. Can we put me where the wheelchairs are at? But I don't need a wheelchair. I just need to stand. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's a tough yeah. one. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they're like, why? You look fine. You look fine so well, I unfortunately, I yeah. conversation i was gonna say there's a lot of people that have you know injuries that aren't always visible so yeah oh, yeah that's very true very true well i got one last question for you we've been talking okay. for a while here the show's called all my friends with justin flaskrude this is an interesting story how we become friends let's hear your side of it <laughs> okay do you want to know the truth yes Okay. My first, first time I ever heard of you ever, I hadn't even gotten to be your friend yet. Yeah. I was interviewing with Jeff Rickett at CBJ radio and he told me he was going to have me on something with DJ rude. And I said, turn around. And I said, Oh my, I hope he's not rude. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, no, he's a really cool guy. And I'm like, okay, well, if you say so, I, I feel, you know, sure, I'm sure. Yeah. So, and then I got to meet you and I was like, he's not rude at all. He's awesome. You're like the nicest, coolest dude. Thank and you're you. funny and, and you do a good show. You do a bunch of good shows. Yeah. I, I mean, that is all true. And it's 
I mean, Rude is part of the last name, as everybody knows. I've had the nickname since I was uh, 13, maybe younger. My older sister had it, um, the nickname, because of a coach. Um, it was her track coach and later on became my football coach. And so when I got to be a player for him, he's like, oh, you're Rude's little brother. You'll be Rude now. And so she'll always tell me to the day, I was the original Rude. And I go, but I made it famous. <laughs> and, and so on it yeah i we moved to wyoming i did not tell one soul to call me rude when he got here never said a word about it um got to about my 15 years old sophomore year of high school and it just kicked in like it's hard to spit out a last name and we all in sports call each other by our last names and they're like, flask root's too hard to say really fast. So we're just going to call you rude. And I was like, that worked. And then it was just kept going and kept going. And everybody got to know me as that. And I have it tattooed on my arm. And um, I've never thought of myself as a rude person by any means. Um, no, that's not why it's kind of like that's, people that's that are funny. Yeah, people that are like, you know, tall, they call them shorty, you know, stuff like that. It's kind of the opposite thing. So I get a lot of the, when people meet me or get it, I get introduced, they're like, oh, that's my buddy Rude. And they're always like, what? And I'm like, I'm not that, I'm not rude guy. Or they're like, is he a rude guy? Like, oh no, it's probably one of the nicest people you ever meet. And I'm like, (laughs) stuff I like to hear. Um, And, but I, yet I couldn't, I, I never went by DJ Rude. I DJed in college um, and I was just rude that happened to be a DJ. And then I moved away, came back and I was always hanging out at this one bar that had DJs and stuff. And I was like, I might as well be a bouncer here. I did that before, you know, pay for my drinking. And the manager was like, no, you're a new DJ. And I was like, what? And they're like, oh yeah, I used to sneak into the bar. You DJed at in college, underage. You were awesome. You're gonna be our new DJ. And I was like, cool. And, uh, and she didn't even ask me. And next thing I know that she's advertising DJ Rude. And I was like, I guess that's my DJ name now. I never really put it together. It makes total sense. And uh, yeah, I get a lot of that. Are you rude? And I'm like, I don't think so. Only one person thought I was really rude and because it was part of my email and it was interesting. But otherwise, uh, it's a unique nickname to have. And people to the day that I've known for a long time probably don't know my real name. Maybe they do the podcast now, but they probably don't know my real name. And yeah, I, my side of, yeah, I listened to your, you know, interviews and you're kind of blumped the ranks on CBJ radio and Jeff had interviewed you. Then you get in the chat rooms and I love saying I'm about to get my heart on with Bobby Hart <laughs> when I play your music or played your music. Um, it's, it's funny. Um, I can barely spit it out sometimes because I make myself giggle. I'm, and so i love that your mom dug it that one time and thought she yeah i was just gonna say you know my mom heard you say that right yeah (laughs) and so i it's it's fun and and then you know i get easy great music to play and so i will and then getting to know you in the chat room so nice such a nice person you've been very supportive of our radio station and my shows as well it's been so great to get to know you. Seriously, yeah. you're, you're such a great dude. You're you're a rude dude. Yeah, rude dude. Yeah, and so yeah, it's uh, it, it 
And so this is my first interview with somebody I met through the radio station, which is, which is pretty cool to me. Um, I gathered some other interviews from, from musicians I've, I've known for a long time. And now they're getting big. It seems like everybody's on a trajectory up. So I'm like, gosh, I got to support my friends any way I can podcast, whatever it takes. Cause I'm so proud of you guys and proud of you and, and your story. You. Amazing. Thank and you. It, all, it all speaks in your music as well. And Thank so you. You, you've been a, a great, great interview. Thank and you. You're going to come from Canada, New York and all that you've gone through. It's an amazing story. <laughs> and we didn't just hammer down on your music career the whole time. Got to know uh, Robbie, you. the full person. Thank you for helping share my story and thank you for being such a great supporter of my music because without you, my stories and songs wouldn't be shared. So thank you so much. I really appreciate all your support. And I actually really love tuning into your shows. So just do me a favor and make those questions a little less hard once in a while, just once in a while for me, just once in a while. I want to thank Robbie for being on the show. We covered a lot of different topics and probably could talk for another hour or so. If you didn't know, Robbie has won two International Singer Songwriters Association Awards for her music. And folks, you can get your heart on at www.robbiehart.com. That's www.robbiehart.com. On to the next episode. All my friends, all my friends, all my friends with Justin Flaskerud. All my friends, all my friends, all my friends with Justin Flaskerud.